1: actually look at at the WHO, the World Health Organization, actually um, decided to identify burnout as an occupational phenomenon. Workplace stress left unmanaged. They made that distinction in 2019 and actually added um, burnout to their international classification of diseases, their IDC11, which they didn't go so far as saying it's a medical syndrome, but they did identify that it is um, a symptom of chronic stress. but they outline these six root causes and overwork is one of them because it kills 2.8 million employees per year. It's pretty catastrophic. But then you also look at five other root causes, which is a lack of fairness, so that's systemic discrimination, a lack of community, which is loneliness and isolation, lack of agency, so not feeling like you have any control over what you do, why people are massively leaving the workforce right now and exiting so fast because they're being told to go back to work five days a week and they don't want to do that. Um, and then also lack of um, rewards for effort, so just over overwork and not getting paid fairly for it. And then. lack lack of values. So this sense of this values mismatch, you know, when you're working so hard, you feel really disconnected to why you even are doing the job in the first place. And so those are the six root causes. And they're definitely not solved just with self care, which is a big part of what I try to get across to folks.
2: Sure, sure. I, you know, we we talk a lot about value alignment uh, in the work that we do, you know, as we focus on decision making, decision making really hinges on how you Relate to your values? Are you aware of them? Are you using them for decision making? And so when you look at a job situation, are you, you're saying that there if there's a misalignment in values that that can contribute to higher incidence of burnout?
1: Yeah, it's one of the six root causes and and when you look at values mismatch, you see this in a bunch of different ways. Right now, we're looking at this as sort of emotional distance from one's job or lack of, of effectiveness in one's job because you're so far away from what you, you know what you thought you were good at. After you feel so exhausted and overworked and cynical, it also is just a fit, you know, a lot of organizations really pitch a certain type of you know concept or idea of, or aspirational goals of their organization and then you get in there and it's totally opposite of that you can feel right. really disconnected from from what you're doing it also is just you know career for example a lot of nurses are leaving the workforce right now because the idea of what they thought nursing would be teachers too what we thought teaching would be and you get in there and it's actually pretty bureaucratic, it's really long hours, you're not getting paid very well, you don't feel valued. Uh, you know, those are the kind of things that create this values mismatch and it leads to burnout.
2: So, how do you differentiate you know, a lot of these things to me, you know, we're, we're going to work. It's not it's not going to be fun. That's why they pay me to do it, right? I mean, so some of this is the natural just sort of relationship of work and it, but I I hear what you're saying about these mismatches on values and agency, particularly fairness, all all these things make sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But I've I got I keep going back to that there's got to be a difference between legitimate uh burnout as defined or or diagnosed and, and categorized as such, and just general, hey, you know, I just I'm tired. I'm lazy, or this person's just not a great worker. How do I how do I differentiate if i'm an employer between somebody who's you know suffering from the the real effects of burnout that i ought to do something about and somebody who's just not great <laughs> somebody who's just you know they they're just kind of lazy they're just kind of slow how do i differentiate between these two because i my guess is i i need to address them differently
1: yeah, I think that one of the things that we need to understand right now is that in a time where there's macro stress or like a global pandemic, which is causing a lot of you know grief and, and trauma, and then we also have um, growth and business as usual, despite it being really difficult to have a chronic stressor like that on us all the time and still hit those goals, we have this massive increase of workload. We've added about 30% more to each day of work around 3 hours more per day in the US of work that we're actually in you know engaged in and then we're checking in for the first time between 12 and 3 a.m. and all the data keeps showing us that about 85 to 91% of the workforce is burned out you as a manager can probably assume that a lot of your team is burned out and that we should be looking at you know stages of burnout we need to be looking at how exhausted are your folks are they complaining about being tired a lot like are they talking using words like i'm just so tired if you start to sh- see things like that they're making mistakes or that they're, you know, they're not hitting those same performance levels that they used to, then you can assume that they probably are dealing with chronic stress. We misdiagnose underperformance often when it really is chronic stress that is the symptom and and we overlook that. I think you should determine is that person were they always a really, you know, high-performing person and then suddenly they're not? There is a distinction. Usually when someone starts there, that person that's just lazy or that person that isn't really committed to being engaged or productive, you can see that pretty soon.
2: You know, I, I think there's, there's a, I need a certain level of stress in my life. I think most people do to perform. And, and if you take away too much stress from me, I, I feel like a rudderless ship, you know? So, How do you balance between making sure you've got enough stress, enough goals out there that you're working towards that you, that you can achieve and grow and strive for something, but you you don't want to create this, this burnout effect.
1: I love that question because a lot of people, um, you know, and I write about this in the book, the people that are most at risk of burnout are also those that have they're really bad at self-care. They have high perfectionist strivings that end up being kind of dangerous. Their passion goes from harmonious to obsessive very quickly. Um, and so you've got this sort of the, like I said, this recipe for burnout because industries love those types of people that just like really push themselves and they don't, their boss doesn't even need to push them because they're the ones that are, you know, working these unsustainable, you know, hours. And, but a lot of that is driven by invisible pressure, you know, like the only way that you really feel like you can get to that golden, you know, carrot is if you do that. So it becomes just a subconscious push all the time. So there has to be a better realization of what actually makes you most successful. And what kind of boundaries do I need to maintain very healthy, harmonious relationship with my workload and then not take it to a point of obsession. And we have to start putting those checks and balances in. So is it, you know, I've stopped spending time with my family. Is it, you know, I don't engage in things that make me happy outside of work. Like there's no hobbies that, that I'm engaged in. Am I doing, you know, am I saying yes to all these projects and I'm not actually as effective because I've said yes to so many things. Um, how do I make sure sure that I balance the other parts of my life? Because, you know, work is really an important part of our life satisfaction. If we like work, it does improve just overall, you know, happiness in life. Um, But we also have to start thinking about like, what are our deathbed regrets? You know, is it going to be that I, you know, finish the brief on Friday or, or finish the brief on Monday? Like no one actually cares doesn't matter to anyone. And at, you know, 95, when you're sitting on your deathbed, hopefully you, you know, you you get to live to 95. You won't be regretting any of those things that you didn't do, or you didn't get to, you'll be regretting that you have no family and friends around you.
3: You know what it it seems to me that most I think there's a, a now a minority of people that reject the premise of, your work. Right. But I think that's a minority of leaders who are now, you know, increasingly aging out of the workforce who, who will say, you know, Jennifer, I hear what you're saying, but I really do think that people are just ungrateful, lazy, and uh, we're going to, you know, keep cracking the whip because that's what was done to me. Um, But everyone else generally wants to get better in this area. Um,
1: Yeah. Most
3: people do. What's holding, What decisions are those people not making?
1: Because well, they've decided
3: that they want to do it, but they're just just not happening.
1: I think a big part of it is that, like I said, you know, these leaders are understanding that they've lost. Like some orgs that I'm talking to have lost like thirty five percent of one team, and they're all their high performers, and it's a very expensive cost and they're doing exit interviews and finding out that we just can't think that way. And there's a lot of leadership accountability. And so we're seeing real bias training inside of executive leadership to change mindset because they can't lose those people. So they're making decisions to choose which way they're going to go. And, and the thing is, is that, like I said, there's just there's no ignoring what's happening right now. And so you could have the some of those people um, that still are holding on to those values. But really, when you look at being competitive, it's going to be culture, it's going to be other types of compensation packages that include, you know, wellness, like, like, like teletherapy.
3: So I, I always get skeptical when I hear companies that say that they care about these things, because they are what I would call the answers that you know the teacher expects out of you. Um, not a lot of companies are going to say no. We we actually hate diversity, right? Nobody's going to say that. Uh, some people might feel that way. Um, it. To I can't. I mean, I guess you have certainly probably experienced that somebody has a company is saying we don't care about burnout. We are willing to 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 just you know beat people into the ground, um, but it seems like people have to say that they're doing something yet. There isn't a decision that's made to actively defeat this issue. Um, you know, as, a, as an author of the a book on the burnout epidemic, what do you think, what, what is your tip for those companies for those leaders on how to make better decisions on living up to what they say?
1: Yeah, and, and I do see a lot of, you know, people that are providing lip service to it for sure. You know, I, I hear these declarations of, you know, we're gonna give a week off to our burned out employees. And that's something that really bothers me because it's like, well, they're gonna take a week off but go right back to getting burned out. So it yeah, sounds
3: really sexy game.
1: and everyone yeah. loves to put the headline out there. It's all over the, you know, media. It's just such a great Headline grab, but it it means nothing. Yeah, I I I would think
2: some for for some people, actually being away from the office might create additional stress.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's this really great ADP study that said it's like a 17 hour time deficit that you like you lose 17 hours of time to go on a vacation these days because you have to do like multiple hours beforehand to get ready. And then all these hours to catch up on the way back. And you've probably been checking your email the whole time while you're away. So I think like these ideas are great, but are they really getting to the problem? And so I've seen companies that are trying and I'm sure they think it's a good thing. Like they think that they're doing a good thing, but then they realize that they're not because nothing changes. And so that's the shift that I think a big part of what I feel like my role is, is just to get people thinking about burnout and and stress in a different way than how we've been attacking it so far.
0: Thanks for making the great decision to listen in to this week's episode highlight. If you want more of what you just heard, see the show notes for the full episode. As always, for the latest decision-making tips, find us on decidedlypodcast.com or on Instagram at decidedlypodcast. And be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter from the link in the show notes. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review as well. We read all of your comments, so if you learned some decision-making tips today, let us know. Until next time, this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.